Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. Hi. So before we get into the episode, if you have a movie pairing or matchup that you would like us to tackle, you can reach us by email at matchcutpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at matchcut. So Matt, what stories have you been getting into lately? So, uh, luckily, in the hellscape that is uh, 2020, uh, <laughs> under the, the, the COVID, uh, movie theaters have finally reopened, although there is hardly anything to show. There is one movie that is worth seeing, and that is Tenant by um, Christopher Nolan, starring uh, Denzel Washington's son, uh, whose name is just escaping me. As uh, well Mr. As, Washington. I mean, he goes to Washington. <laughs> uh it's interesting. There's a lot going on there that's kind of hard to parse out uh, on one viewing. I saw it in IMAX because I'm bougie like that. Um, <laughs> How many it was people good. are they letting into those theaters? They're at 40% capacity or something like that. And there's got to be social distancing and you have to have your masks on. I did wear my mask the whole time in the theater. Yeah. Uh, we were pretty decently spaced out. Like it's a big, it was a bigger auditorium as an, it was an IMAX screen. Mm-hmm. Um but still wasn't packed, packed or anything like that. And even at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. So gotcha. Yeah. I That's think people bad. are still, still being decently smart overall, at least in the state I live in. <laughs> yeah. Where you are, maybe. Um, other than that, I uh, took the time to finally get around to watching Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining. Uh, mm. And Stephen King actually liked the the movie, even though he <laughs> wrote the book. And the movie and the original book both have very different endings. But he really liked what director Mike Flanagan, who did The Haunting of Hill House and a few other stories and, and movie adaptations, uh, he really liked the melding of the two and really enjoyed it. Uh, I did it as well. I think it was a, a, a fine film. A little less scary than the original The Shining is, but kind of a different beast altogether. Gotcha. Um, other than that, I've been trying to watch as many spooky, uh, scary <laughs> skeleton films uh, this month as possible. Um, rewatched The Thing, the original, which uh, that movie is still a great movie. Yeah. Those so. special effects still hold up. Oh, yeah. And I watched some uh, some clips from it. Still pretty decent. <laughs> have you only seen clips or have you seen the full film? I've only seen clips from it. Uh, I, I have I have it I have it around here somewhere. I could watch it, but I I won't if we're you know putting our cards on the table here. Oh Aaron. <laughs> oh me. So what about you? What have you uh been getting up to? Uh I, I remember you saying that you've uh you've been thinking about writing a book, writing a story. I have. Still in still in the very early phases of of conceptual ideas, I have started a Google Doc for it. So you know, still in the honeymoon period before I have to get down to it and do actual work. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm working on that. Probably be a, a urban fantasy uh, mafia style story, and and hopefully I don't I. My goal is to have it finished by the end of next year. So, we'll wow, see. that's. That's a that's a, a decently lofty goal. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what gets done. I I don't know how long it's going to be. I've have a loose goal of twenty thousand words, kind of in the short story 
novella kind of range, I guess. But yeah. I'm going to write it and see how many words it is. And, then, you know, as long as I get it done, I'm not going to like I don't I'm not expecting to like publish it or anything. So, I mean, you should at least try if you get it, you know, to a yeah. certain level. I definitely will. But keep keeping the expectations low. Um, expectations for myself. Always give half your effort so that when you give 75% (laughs) of your effort, you look like you're giving 120% of your effort. (laughs) Exactly. If I fail, I never tried anyways, and it softens the blow. (laughs) Um, other than that, as far as stories, other people have written, um, uh, you and I got together and watched uh, death of Stalin. We did, which is, uh, fantastically funny and i would highly recommend it Um, that's a kind of hijack your point there the thing that i think we both enjoyed but i know i enjoyed of it is like i don't know how much of this is actually a farce (laughs) yeah yeah there's a it's like it's this all seems plausible for those who don't know it's set after the death of or like during the death of stalin and kind of the the political struggle that took place after that it's like would communist Russia do this? I mean, like, I could see them doing this. It's not that far out there, but... I, I'm of the mind that the only thing that is, like, fake about it is, like, the the explicit words, but, like, the things and the events that take place, I think th- those all 100% happened, and it was, like, almost as farcical as all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we also watched uh, The Gentleman, a Guy Ritchie movie, a... <sighs> fantastic return to form for uh guy Ritchie. no i really love when he does aladdin <laughs> right he, he should keep making you know big budget uh special effects tentpole movies and not <laughs> you know he's even lamented about that yeah like not, he is not low-key gangster flicks definitely not that he is like a, a a small independent filmmaker trapped making all these big budget movies because like he puts them down on time and on budget yeah god god forbid but yeah after after rock and roller you know it was kind of like uh, it's it's good it's not it's not what i would hold guy Ritchie to typically so i was i was really happy that uh the gentleman was really good yeah and then uh, I've been rewatching. Uh, I've been watching a little bit of anime. I've been watching uh, Seven Deadly Sins. I got through the first oh, season of that. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, you know it's fun. It's it's a it's a fun romp. And then I've been uh, rewatching Hunter Hunter, mm, just as that- kind of a comfort food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because who wants stories that ever end? Right. Right. <laughs> I yeah it it goes slow. I I skipped through about half of the first season and got to like the hunter exam. Did that arc, and then you know I've never that's seen about where hunter, I'm at. Hunter. Oh, okay, but I, I know the, I know it's one of those like oh it's long running kind of things. Right? Yeah. It's 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 150 episodes, I think. And then the manga it's based on is still ongoing with multiple you know hiatus and all that it's like it's all old hat to as someone who really loves berserk yeah yeah i <laughs> something i've been thinking about in my story like oh do i you know i could just kill the main character right and then i can't write a sequel or don't have to write a sequel <laughs> <laughs> but you speak- merely adopted the the uh <laughs> 
the hiatus. I was born and molded by it. <laughs> I didn't see a new chapter until I was a man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of dying, we've got a sick segue. <laughs> the best. That's why. That's why I'm you come to the match professional. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got two movies that uh deal very closely with the dead ostensibly um (laughs) this episode's matchup is about mindless consumerism thoughtless routine and aiming for the head so rack your shotgun grab your cricket bat and get a drink while we wait for this to all blow over it's time for dawn of the dead versus Shaun of the dead so um matt how did you uh experience these movies before watching them for the podcast well, since the, uh, and we're talking about the original Dawn of the Dead here, not yeah, the Zack Snyder remake. Um, the 1978 released the, the Snyder cut. <laughs> I mean, th- this movie has its own series of pitfalls <laughs> of getting it and all that, but we'll go into that in a bit. Yeah, um, we watched uh, the, you said the theatrical version. Theatrical to my cut. knowledge of the versions I have watched, that is the theatrical cut. Uh, gotcha. The U.S. theatrical cut, not the U.K. theatrical cuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a nightmare. Um, the uh, my first uh, experience with Dawn of the Dead, I be- definitely believe, is after watching the remake, or maybe catching it on uh, TV before then, like in the lead up to the remake's release. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am actually one of the lucky few that own like the the nice slipcase collector's edition that has all the cuts on DVD. (laughs) So uh, slide into my DMS. If you want to buy that from me, my starting (laughs) price is $500. And if you go and look online, that's actually not super insane uh, Mm -hmm. that I just said that. So um, (laughs) this movie is a little hard to get a hold of. So, you know, if you want to watch it before listening to our takes on it, Good find luck. your own way <laughs> uh hit me up at the match cut podcast on twitter <laughs> saying, yeah, we'll just, <laughs> just just add us in a public tweet that you want us to send you a version of the movie <laughs> and we'll we'll get at you <laughs> uh but i definitely uh, you know i sought it out at a time in, in high school era you know when Zombies were becoming big and all that. Obviously, mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead, the Dawn of the Dead remake, Walking Dead was starting up, uh, and uh, a lot of dead things uh, and things that yeah. won't die. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Shaun of the Dead, I I think I didn't see it in theaters and definitely caught it on a home release style uh, not too long after it came out, definitely before um, Hot Fuzz came out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what about yourself? Uh, so this is my first ever experience with uh, Dawn of the Dead. I've, you know, through yeah. cultural osmosis, I'm very aware of like the of the Dead series and George Romero and and uh, kind of his influence, at least the broad broad strokes of it. I don't I don't know too much about the details. Um, and then Shaun of the Dead was one of those movies in high school, um, along with like Super Troopers and and that sort of stuff that I watched like over and over. Um, and then kind of after, after that, similar to super troopers, I kind of dropped it and, uh, didn't pick it up again. Uh, yeah, I it, definitely, I definitely haven't watched Shaun of the dead in a long while. Yeah. I, I want to say I didn't really watch it post high school. 
past uh, 2007 for me. Um, so yeah, but it was it was one of those movies that was big in my friend group. I've seen it tons and tons of times. Yeah. So, um, besides all that, though, there is an interesting bacon number fact. Uh, the, obviously, the IMDb scores separate them and link them, but they're only separated by one degree of separation. Uh, Aaron? Simon Pegg uh, played a zombie in Land of the Dead with Tom Savini, a pioneering special effects artist who was also one of the bikers in Dawn of the Dead, as well as doing the uh, the makeup. And then yeah. a, a, f- a fun little Easter egg connection for these is the end credits music of Shaun of the Dead, which obviously pays tribute to Dawn of the Dead in name and references. But the uh, the end credit music for Shaun of the Dead comes from the mall music in Dawn of the Dead. So there is a, a direct style link there. Um, but both of these movies are rated an impressive 7.9 on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Let's find out right after this quick break. Dawn of the Dead is a 1978 movie written and directed by the legendary George A. Romero, starring David Emge, Kevin Forey, Scott H. Rayner, and Galen Ross. George Romero is best known for Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, <laughs> Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. Also the crazies and maybe that movie Martin, just like a sort of not vampire movie, but a vampire movie. Yeah. Um, the Dead Have Risen. In the major cities, SWAT and the National Guard are trying to control the spread of zombies. It's not going well. In the local broadcasting station of Philadelphia, news chopper pilot and Stephen and his girlfriend Francine decide to fly the coop. With the help of his friend Roger from the Philadelphia SWAT team and his buddy Peter, they leave the city in search of somewhere safe from the zombie hordes. And Shaun of the Dead is a 2004 movie written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Kate Ashfield. Uh, The writing combo of Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright are best known for their uh, Cornetto trilogy, which consists of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Also, check out Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, because it's fantastic. And Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Underrated. Just check, out, just check out all of Edgar Wright's films. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. So in Shaun of the Dead, things are not going well for Shaun. His life is stuck in a holding pattern. He moves through it mindlessly, following the same old routine, enabled by his roommate, Ed. He just can't make the decision to move on. Fortunately, a zombie apocalypse is going to force his hand. Now that the dead have risen, Shaun has made a plan to save the people in his life. Get to the Winchester. Um, what thing struck you, uh, rewatching Shaun of the Dead? Uh, definitely rewatching Shaun of the Dead, having not seen it since high school, like in high school, I was, I identified a lot with like Shaun and kind of that apathy and, you know, oh, I'll, I'll figure things out, especially cause I was like 16 at the time and I'm like, I got my whole life ahead of me, whatever. Yeah. And, uh. And almost, you know, identify a bit with Ed because that's a little bit of the person I was in high school. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of a dick. Ed's, Ed's a terrible person, by the way. 
Oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely something I really was surprised about is how much I did not like Ed anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, screw this guy. And like, yeah. the the other thing that struck me is like, oh man, I've been in houses that look like theirs, like, <laughs> and I just like it was uncomfortable and all that. It's something I didn't notice in high school. Is like, there's just all these little things. It's like, man that must be exhausting. And it's like, you hate uh, Pete, the roommate played by Peter Mm -hmm. Stefanowitz. When, at least when I watched it, when I was younger, it's like, man, he's coming up uh, as a dick. But then like, you realize they've had this conversations about Ed, like (laughs) a hundred times. And he's only putting up with it because he likes Sean. Yeah definitely watching it in 2020 it's you read it in a whole different light especially you know as i think we're all kind of guilty of not wanting to make hard decisions in our life you know and being very comfortable with kind of like uh, a middle ground or a homeostasis and or at least i am i don't want to speak for you but that's (laughs) very much a issue in my life that i'm working to address so it hits differently it's 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 a different movie watching experience, uh, watching it at 31 versus watching it at 15, 16. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's definitely moments in it that like hit really different. Like, I don't know about you personally or, you know, our audience such as it is like that scene in the car with his, uh, his stepfather, Phil played by the, you know, incomparable, uh, (laughs) Bill Nye. Um, venerable venerable where he's you can tell now you know he knows he's he's dying from all the zombie bites that he's gotten and he's you know Mm -hmm. coming clean and and having a heart-to-heart with sean that they've never had they have a very you know kind of combative tumultuous relationship uh from the past he's like that like that hits really different because maybe some of us have had those deathbed confessions or and the those like epiphanies and we realize something that we didn't because we were too busy being childish about something. Yeah. And like, yeah. But like the way Ed is behaving throughout that whole sequence of events is completely unacceptable as an adult. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the way he, you know, he like the the playing the music and deliberately not taking the shortest route to the Winchester and um, going out of his way to hit zombies in the road like this is a game mm-hmm. when it's like someone is literally dying in the back seat here. You need to hurry up. Yeah, yeah, and definitely like now. Now when I you know see some teenagers, you know, in the f- few and far between moments where I do, it's like I recognize that attitude in teenagers and in, in some people, especially like at my work where I kind of deal with people finding their place in life, people who are in that transitionary period. Like it's like, you just don't get it. You know, you'll, you'll get there. You know, I think everyone does, but you haven't hit that moment of realization yet. And kind of Ed has it at the end of this movie, which is unfortunate because he's just, you know, about to turn into a zombie, but. It takes uh, something. Yeah. I think 
in a sense, this is like the the existence that Ed gets at the end as a, a mild spoiler. He becomes a zombie, and mm-hmm. Sean, you know, keeps him in the shed out back. Um, yeah, but I think that's the existence he wanted anyway. Yeah. You know, like at the end, he kind of gets what he wants, and Sean gets what he wants. He you know gets Liz back, who is leaving him because he's constantly stuck in this you know arrested development phase by by his association with Ed and he can't let go mm-hmm. of everything or he can, he can get let, let go about a lot of that stuff. But, you know, by the end you get the sense that he's a much better off person. Yeah. You know, open to new experiences and trying things and like going out and, you know, taking part in life rather than just being passive and everything and doing the same things over and over again. Like, yeah. <laughs> The thing yeah. that really hits me is that that conversation that Liz has with him. I don't want to be one of these old people, like just going through life, talking about the people in the Winchester. And it's like, man, I have almost been that person, been the regular at places. And it's like, there are certain places you you want to be a regular at because it's like cool, hip, and it's your vibe. And I think that's part of growing up is figuring out where you want to be. But then there's also like, I guess we'll just do this for lack of a better option. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and it's something that also I've I've realized because like in 2004 was kind of the, the peak zombie or it was just starting to come out. Like you had that like internet memes of like zombies versus ninjas and, and zombies really just had their heyday. And yeah, it, th- this movie is definitely part of that, like zombie renaissance, where yeah. you know you got the zombie songs later, and <laughs> the and all that, and which we're still dealing with. You know, The Walking Dead is finally ending, but there's that spinoff, the, like Fear the Walking Dead or whatever, that's still going, and yeah, comic books and everything. But yeah, like the thing you realize, I think, as you grow older or become more attuned to is like zombie movies are never like actually about the zombies. Yeah. It's always meant to show something about the people. And well, at least the good ones are never about. The yeah. Zombies. Yeah. There's some really crummy <laughs> independent ones where it's just like military porn of them just shooting zombies in the face for an hour and a half. <laughs> right. And yeah. Those, those ones are missing the point, but there are ones who get it. And you know, Dawn of the Dead is sort of the originator or close to of that. Um, and Shaun of the Dead is is a tribute to that, you know, in name, in style, in attitude. And one of the things I really like about Shaun of the Dead is it's kind of like this nesting doll of, of references, you know, not only to the original Dawn of the Dead, but also like there are references to itself. There are references to like, kind of like pre-references to other movies in the in the Cornetto trilogy and and you know you kind of get you get one experience on the first watch of Shaun of the Dead and then you get a different experience on the second watch and I think even coming back to it you know 16 years down the road there's you know now experiences that I didn't get uh 14 years ago 16 years ago yeah uh I I think that to me, kind of the difference between the two films is Shaun of the Dead hits on a personal level. Like you're mm-hmm. like you're mentioning that, you know, as a as an individual that has grown since their first, you know, viewing of it, you're getting different things from it. You're seeing different perspectives and different, 
you know, thought process is the story hasn't really changed. And the, the commentary they're making is again, a more personal commentary rather than a commentary on society, which mm-hmm. Dawn of the dead, because of the way George Romero wrote things and writes things like, um, at least for the first two films, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, I think, I believe George Romero when he said, like, uh, famously in Night of the Living Dead, like, people look at it as a critique of uh, racism and segregation in America because the lead survivor character in Night of the Living Dead was played by a black guy. Mm-hmm. And George Romero says, like, the reason it was played by a black guy is, I believe his name is, first name is Dwayne or Dwight was literally just the best actor of the group of friends that got together to make the film. And so he was the main character. Like we're going to put the best actor in the, in the role, but you're able to read all these racial tension things. And like the fact that at the end of the dawn of the, or night of the living dead is that that character gets shot in the head by white cops in ostensibly, you know, a segregated area. Like even though he was alive and real, (laughs) like yeah. not a zombie they thought he was and then you have these uh, freeze frame pictures at the end of them like throwing zombie bodies on the pile and all that stuff it's like man to a degree i think that the it was unintentionally casting him the black actor in the lead role but i think as it goes on in the production like he tweaked the script and would you know fiddle with it and add things in post production that kind of turn it into a more appropriate allegory for racism in America and segregation in America in the fifties and sixties. Right. Similar things happened during the production of Dawn of the dead. Yeah. Uh, Real quick. That was Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. So I I did get the name slightly right. Yeah. You were there. We got it. I'm Um, here to back you up. (laughs) I appreciate you being my corner man, Aaron. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Um, the thing that really hit me about Dawn of the Dead that was like, oh God, uh, being that it's 2020, we're in a pandemic, was the those scenes in the newsroom that when I mm-hmm. first watched it, like just felt like color commentary. Uh, but when I watched it now, like we're in a post-truth, post-fact era, you have a scientist <laughs> speaking facts and a, a host arguing with him about these facts of what is going on because he doesn't feel like that. And people don't think that way. And like, you can't just say that and all that. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. What? There's no opinion on this. Just shut up and listen to the scientist on this. (laughs) Yeah. And, and then cutting to the inner city project of like the police raiding a project ostensibly to get you know to get these people out and away from the the infected victims but like oh man is the racism present (laughs) yeah that's that's something that definitely struck me like obviously george romero has some stuff to say about the cops um but you know that is that that is that time period like you know the vietnam war was a was an era where you saw a lot of like violent protests and violent reactions by cops you know, you got the um, Newark riots where National Guard came in guns blazing. And yeah, some of that present here, especially with with the very opening scene, which is which is a bummer that it's still it's a bummer that some of this stuff is still relevant. Yeah, it's like, you know, what did the cops and the National Guard in that, you know, opening projects thing really accomplish? Mm-hmm. 
other than losing yeah. some guys they probably couldn't really afford to lose and wrecking up the place like that the the thing with the tear gas and all that i'm like oh god <laughs> it's yeah. the same stuff and i think that that was a very purposeful like seen because of the political upheaval that was happening, you know, the Detroit riots, the, the LA Watts Compton riots at the time after the death of MLK and mm-hmm. then the, the Chicago uh, unrest during the DNC just a few yeah. years before or that year. Uh, that, that would have been the DNC where Nixon or yeah. around the election of Nixon, which was 72. Was that 72? Or, Nixon gets into office. Yeah, I think you're you're right on the money there before the drawdown of Nam. So like this was all still fresh in people's minds. And like yeah. I'd be really interested to watch it with my parents, being that they grew up in that era and they were aware of things going on in that era. Yeah. And it's it's kind of one of those things that you will also see later on in the movie with um Roger's character, um, where that cop in the beginning and then like Roger just kind of just, just need the slightest push, like the slightest acceptance of like, okay, Hey, violence is okay. Now, you know, you've got the green light to just kind of take it way too far. I didn't necessarily get that from Roger because when he comes face to face with Ramirez, the guy, unfortunately in Brown face, um, yeah. but that was one of those again, because George Romero, very low to no budget on these films. That was like, oh, the actor we had wasn't dark skinned enough. So we put him in what we could. Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, oh, this is fine. Because clearly (laughs) George Romero is not intentionally racist. He casts black men prominently in his movies. Yeah. So it's not coming from a, it was like, uh, shit, the act, I think it was the actor they originally had, like, didn't show up or was like high or drunk or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, independent filmmaking, it happens. So they, they, they just got a guy and put some makeup on him, <laughs> but right. You know, Roger is not particularly trigger happy in my opinion, because well, he had that, he had that kind of moment where he loses it in like the truck yard where he's just like, Hey buddy, you know, it's time to get in the truck. Like, where's your head at? And he's just, yeah, violently think, killing. Yeah, I think that was more him just losing the like where he's at and like being mm-hmm. tired and and the adrenaline's getting to him and he doesn't maybe have the proper training and so he's taking the these foolish risks that you you shouldn't be taking. Yeah. Uh, and it takes his buddy, you know, Peter, not Peter, sorry. Uh, oh yeah, Peter. Uh, to like give him like get your head in the game man where are you at yeah and unfortunately maybe it was a little too late but Mm -hmm. um there's the moment where you know he has a chance he has a guy dead to rights uh, and but he knows what's going on behind him he's like don't go out there and it looks like a genuinely like distraught when he gets shot and killed and falls off the building Mm mm-hmm it's like, this isn't why I'm here. This isn't what we're here for. And the second yeah. it becomes clear that, you know, this isn't working, they're like, hey, my buddy's got a <laughs> chopper. Let's get the F out of here. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm down for that. Um, but yeah, then they end up in the shopping mall, which I think is is kind of this on-the-nose symbolism um, or 
allegory or, or reference to American consumerism, but it's also kind of, again, in, in my history of zombie movies is, is woefully incomplete, but it's also kind of the originator of this like mindless consumerism metaphor in zombie movies. So the reason that the most of the filming takes place in a shopping mall is because mm-hmm. it was an independent film with very wonky financing. George Romero just happened to know the owner of that mall <laughs> and was friends with him and was like, Hey, George, you can shoot here at night after everyone's closed. It's perfectly yeah. cool. As long as you clean up afterwards and you're done before morning. <laughs> you're right. And so He's like, all, all right. And he kind of wrote the story. And um, then like halfway through filming, they're like, oh, holy crap. I've made a really powerful allegory about the emptiness of consumerism. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Be- because like, here's this mall, everything these people could ever want. And they're just supremely unhappy. Like the story already had these people being supremely unhappy wherever they were holed up. And I think the original idea was a military bunker. Um, mm. but he just couldn't find one that would allow him because, you know, this is the middle of the cold war, um, right. Or like the original location fell through kind of thing. And so the, the mall was the backup, um, <laughs> right. Your, the original script also is a much darker ending, mm. um, which I really love how kind of funny and upbeat optimistic the ending gets. <laughs> right. The original ending is Peter takes that Derringer and shoots himself in the head and the zombies like feast on his corpse. And I honestly expected it to go there. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, Hey, this is it. (laughs) Well, it was supposed to. (laughs) (laughs) And Francine then was supposed to stick her head in the blades of the helicopter to kill herself. (laughs) That one I wouldn't have seen coming. (laughs) So you remember uh, in the opening scene where the guy busts down the door and blows that head up? Mm-hmm. That was actually the dummy that they had made up of Francine. Because <laughs> w- George Romero, like it was literally on the day of shooting that scene, he changed his mind. Yeah. And he was like, and he b- had become really attached to Peter and Francine in particular. And like, you know what? I'm going to give him an uncertain future, but a chance. Yeah. Um, not much, not much fuel, no destination, but okay. Hey, you know, at least they got their chance. Um, they're moving. Uh, I like to imagine they, they, they made it. They, you know, they, 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 they found some Island or got up into Canada and up into the snow belts and, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and lived and found some, you know, nice Canadian survivors. Yeah. But, um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So yeah, all they did with that dummy was paint it, paint it black and, and have it get blown up really quick by a <laughs> shotgun blast. Yeah. Like, well, we got the explosives. We got the dummy. We got the, the bright ass red fake blood. That was actually something that uh, I think Tom Savini and George Romero were supremely unhappy about was a, the color of the zombie paint. Like it didn't photograph the way it was supposed to. And like mm-hmm. that blood was way too bright. Yeah. yeah. But, th- but they'd already like secured it. And it was like, you know, a change, like kind of last minute in the cameras they were using or something like that. It was like, again, well, we can't throw <laughs> it out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this movie came together shockingly well for, you know, this kind of low budget, uh, 
ramshackle production, piecing stuff together, you know, I can see why people took to it, especially, you know, Simon Pegg and uh, Edgar Wright. It's it's a solid movie. It for me, it kind of it kind of drags a little bit in like the uh, the final third where they're kind of set up in the mall and in it, somewhat enjoying it. But I think you kind of need that montage, though, of them, you know, enjoying it and taking it all all in and, you know, mm-hmm. like enjoying the fruits of their labor to get those other scenes of them just being miserable (laughs) (laughs) of them being supremely unhappy and unfulfilled and all that. I'd say that's a failing of the Zack Schneider thing is the, the desperation of the failure of just existing doesn't Mm -hmm. set in as much in the Zack Schneider remake. It's there. You get a similar montage and a similar point and them being more snippy with each other. But like overall, the, a lot of the cast of characters in the remake are supremely unlikable to begin (laughs) with. Uh, Ty Burrell uh, plays a great asshole in it, but he was (laughs) always an asshole and he never stopped being an asshole. Whereas the, he's a great asshole. Uh, (laughs) but uh something i really enjoyed that felt refreshing to me after all this postmodernist zombie films where it's like oh humans are the real monsters it's like Mm -hmm. this movie never kind of forgets that the monsters are the real monsters yeah i would Uh, argue a little bit with the motorcycle gang at the end like that's their you know that's their monkey wrench and their plans and kind of the biggest threat they've faced but that only goes bad because Steven kind of forgot what he was there for mm-hmm. and decides to start taking pot shots at them. Had yeah. they just let the motorcycle gang come in, you know, maybe just drop the fences like they said originally to make it hard for them, mm-hmm. then they could have still left and they would have all been fine. Yeah. Overall, Cause, yeah. though. Because kind of once they got in there, they were they were supremely focused on just looting the place. Yeah. Like they're like, yeah, maybe we find some people, maybe we don't, but I want to take my blood pressure and, <laughs> and steal these rings out of, you know, pennies. Yeah. I, I do like the, those like kind of pragmatic uh, moments. Like they're trying to steal TVs. It's like, what the fuck are you going to watch <laughs> on that anyway? Oh yeah. yeah, you're right. And I break it. <laughs> you know, just the wanton destruction of the capitalist, you know, consumerist thing. Um, Something I do like is at least our four main leads, for the most part, they're all likable. Like they're all yeah. like genuine, like real people. Like there's this like realness to them. Like they don't come off as caricatures and there's a little more meat on the bones, even though it doesn't like dig into backstory like a shot like Shaun of the Dead does, because it's establishing characters. Right. And and like, yeah, as, as slow as the back you know, that, that, that period of that movie was like, I really liked these characters by the end of it. And I was, you know, invested. So yeah. How downing would it be to get that original ending after, you know, Peter just locking himself in a room and the zombies break in and he blows his brains out and Francine sticks her head into the helicopter blades. The helicopter blades would have thrown me a little bit, definitely. But yeah, like that's, now something I've seen in zombie movies. So like, 
you know, not having seen this one first, it, it probably wouldn't have shocked me too much. Yeah. Instead, you get this sick, like, A-team music playing as as Peter runs to the chopper. He's like, yeah, like, kicking in and punching the zombies and, and yeah. he karate kicks one. <laughs> There's a really bad jump in that scene. It's just like, Ooh, you left that in, huh? But I gotta right. imagine, like, that was because it was spur of the moment, like, not even a rewrite. It's like, no, we're just changing it. Like mm-hmm. there was no blocking, no like real prep of that. It's just like, okay, we're shooting at this, like our last day at the mall that we got and go. <laughs> yeah. You're going to punch some zombies, kick some, smack some in the head with the buddy rifle. But yeah, it, it, and this is probably intentional, but we see a similar ending in uh, Shaun of the Dead where they're kind of taking this, this elevator up to the surface. It's like, oh, are we going to survive? Maybe, maybe not. Like, you know. <laughs> Ed is almost in that like save a bullet for yourself kind of thing. And uh, yeah. And then you kind of get this deus ex machina or like change in tone when the military shows up. That is something I really enjoy about Shaun of the Dead is like all other zombie fiction relies on a whole bunch of leaps of logic and you never seeing certain things. One of them Mm -hmm. is the military failing. (laughs) Right. Well, in Shaun of the Dead, they don't. (laughs) shockingly militaries are really good at shooting things (laughs) right so they don't and they contain it yeah and you get a a nice somewhat goes back to normal well there's a new paradigm of normalcy yeah the new normal Mm -hmm. we're all in this together through these challenging times (laughs) (laughs) um Something that really kind of resonated with me from like a modern thing uh, was the in Dawn of the Dead, the helicopter flying over the reg- rednecks and like the the hunting in the woods kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, the 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 mixing of the military and police with these paramilitary forces. Like, I I was like drawing a lot of unfortunate implications <laughs> to today, where like the police are perfectly fine with a certain group of people helping them out. Yeah. And not with another group of people helping themselves. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. It's, it's disappointing. And that whole, I bet these rednecks are loving it. It's like anymore. We got groups out there that like are itching to just murder people with impunity. Yeah. You have people making shirts, trying to get someone who murdered two people and attempted to murder a third, like free. It's like, what world do they live in? They live in the world where the other side are zombies and they should be killed because they threaten our very existence from an existential level. They're Uh, less, less than human. Yeah. They are the less than human. Um, They are the less than dead because they don't even matter. Uh, Yeah. The other thing that I I read like, you know, into was the biker gang. Like there's a lot of, you know, Nazi iconography, which was very prominent. Like, and a lot of biker gangs are very white nationalist leaning at the very least. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of intermingling, it's like, you know, and then the, the, like, it might've been innocent at the time because I'm pretty sure a lot of those bikers were just real straight bikers. And I think they actually had to turn a few away for being like way too Aryan nations. (laughs) Yeah. 
And like, keep in mind, this is Pennsylvania. Right. So, um, I don't think it was also shot on location in Philadelphia. I think that was Pittsburgh doubling as Philadelphia. Hmm. I mean, now, now it would be Toronto, but (laughs) Toronto (laughs) or something. Yeah. Yeah. Vancouver. Um, yeah. I mean, these are, these are two great movies in the zombie genre. I mean, do you have a favorite? I think it's there. There, it's. I, I. I don't want to be too much of a cop out too many times in a row. Of like, they both have good points, and they're both salient. Like, it's different emotional states that I'm in. Like, yeah, I think that rewatching Dawn of the Dead in 2020 with the BLM protests, the Portland protests, the 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 rampant um, and the fast march to fascism that we're seeing, like a lot of the the early commentary that is going on with the the militarization of the police in Dawn of the Dead was just so prescient and so mm-hmm. still relevant to today but it kind of goes away and then we get that consumerism message and it's like that doesn't resonate as well anymore at least in my mindset yeah, especially in the setting of a shopping mall, which is because the malls themselves are dead anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, whereas Shaun of the Dead emotionally is, I think it's a little bit lighter because it's dealing with an interpersonal thing and you yeah. know personal relationships. So, um, yeah. what, I was just going to ask, what about you? Do you have a personal favorite? Dawn of the. Uh- well, continuing on from your point, I'll just add like Dawn of the Dead is very much like a macro perspective and Shaun of the Dead is a micro perspective. Mm-hmm. And Shaun of the Dead just really resonates with me. I, I would recommend that before Dawn of the Dead. I mean, you'll miss some references in Shaun of the Dead, but I feel like a lot of people know those zombie tropes so well that you, you'll get by, you know, but Shaun of the Dead definitely spoke to me in the state I'm at now and and resonated a lot more and I identify more with it. So I, I would recommend Shaun of the Dead. Again, watch them both, but Shaun of the Dead if I had to pick one. I personally don't think I can recommend one or the other. Um, I th- One over the other? Yeah, one over the other, sorry. Uh, I think... Dawn of the Dead, like you brought up previously, runs a bit long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there there are certain things about it that, like, you know, from a historical perspective, like you're mentioning, you know, references. But even uh, we briefly touched on it that Tom Savini, like, pioneered um, special effects techniques. There's a a really brutal shot for the time but kind of tame by today's comparisons because he pioneered it in this movie of him hitting a zombie directly in the head with a machete and blood coming out yeah his technique of doing that has been copied so much it's probably different now they would use you know um different techniques but at the low budget level it's still like a perfectly fine way to do it and what they did is they he you release the blood um, and then you, or you God, I don't know the exact procedures cause I haven't read how he did it, but you have a cutout of the actor's face in the blade hmm. and you start with it in the face and then you pull it back and you just reverse the shot. 
Huh. So it looks like, you know, and then when you reverse it, it looks like they're cutting directly into the head. But instead, you've gone reverse, and it's perfectly safe. Um, a lot of the visuals in uh, Dawn of the Dead were somehow or some way directly inspired by a lot of the stuff that Tom Savini actually saw in Vietnam. Um, yeah. You get a little bit more of that in Day of the Dead, where I believe he was still doing the special effects. Yeah, he was doing the special effects makeup. I was actually watching it, waiting for you to finish your watch of <laughs> uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, you see a lot more because it was a little bit bigger budget uh, in term, in some degrees uh, as opposed to others, where his special effects are probably the best they were at that era. And he was really working out because he was a combat photographer and he has said on record that he was working out like a lot of things he actually legitimately captured and he was able to distance himself from the reality of it because he was already working on low budget theater special effects before he deployed to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, this is like a special effect in a movie. Someone who's had very horrible things happen to them that caused them to die. Yeah. And especially, yeah, viewing that through a camera lens, you know, there's there's something there. Yeah. And so he then took a lot of those experiences. And that's why his special effects were so revolutionary is because he had real world experience with death, gore, maimings, r injuries. And he used a bit of that special effects stuff to to work out PTSD. Yeah. So, like, as an aside, like, that's, you know, you would have never thought that from a zombie film it helped a veteran work out his PTSD. <laughs> right. Yeah, just the thing. Gonna make a movie. <laughs> My buddy George is making a zombie movie in a mall. Okay, how can I work out these, <laughs> these, these demons from me? Um, <laughs> Uh, I think the, I got sidetracked on a point that Dawn of the Dead does run a bit long. I think I actually prefer the director's cut, though, because it gives some more characterization scenes. It gives some more contemplative scenes. It is unfortunately mm -hmm. a bit longer. So some of those lulls, especially in the back half of the, the second act or the, the, the third act, um, go on for a bit longer as well. But... There's just like whole cloth scenes that just flow a little bit better because mm -hmm. they weren't cut up. Um, yeah. And those are, those are still important. I would take them in there. Uh, so whereas Shaun of the Dead, I think that's a hundred percent the movie that Edgar Wright wanted to make. And yeah. so, um, but it was a lot more emotionally taxing having to deal with all the, the interpersonal drama that's going on <laughs> that I yeah. think is a lot more intentional uh, to a fault than what Dawn of the Dead was trying to do. So, yeah. Sorry yeah. for the cop out, but <laughs> Jorge no los hey. dos. You know, it is the season. Enjoy them while you can before uh, Christmas takes over next month. Remember, you can't enjoy Dawn of the Dead um, <laughs> outside of October. No, well, because there's nowhere for you to watch the original. Ah. People are resourceful. I believe in them. <laughs> uh, remember to add us at Twitter for to buy my copy of Dawn of the <laughs> Dead, the collector's edition, 500 bucks. We'll get you the whole package, all the versions, DVD, uh, no Blu-ray. Yeah. 
everything you need to set your set your Halloween off right. Uh, so let's see, what are we looking forward to next month? Um, next month we are doing Dune versus Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. That's because Dune was supposed to come out next month, but then yeah. the Rona. You remember when we could uh, rely on movies coming out? No. <laughs> what were the before times like, Papa? <laughs> uh, so if you want to catch uh, Dune, it's available on the HBO services as well as DirecTV. You can also rent it from the usual suspects. And Valerian? Valerian is available uh, to stream on a service called Fubo, which I have no idea about, as well as uh, Sci-Fi, which requires a subscription or rent it from the usual suspects. Um, have you seen either of these movies before? I've seen both of them. I actually just rewatched Dune not that long ago. Okay. It'll be, you know, spoiler, it's my first time for Dune. Oh, the sleeper will awaken then. <laughs> yes, the the spice must flow. I know the references. I just have you never just seen don't them get the context. It's true. There there is nothing more Aaron than that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am just full to the brim of references with little useful knowledge or context. I was going to say context. You have plenty of useful knowledge, Aaron. <laughs> well, thank you. It's uh-huh. a mile mile wide and an inch deep. So uh, that is going to do it for us at the Match Cup Podcast. Uh, I have been Aaron. And as always, I have been Matt of the Dead. (laughs) And we will catch you next time. Have a safe one. Rattle me bones! (laughs) Doot doot. So yeah, have a, you know, happy and safe Halloween. Remember, keep your social distancing. Check your food for razor blades. That never happened. <laughs> well, it it has happened, but it was parents who did it intentionally to their kids. So, wow. Fuck yeah. their parents. Yeah. But uh-huh. yeah, it all spawned out of like a Reader's Digest article like yonks ago and then comes up every year. I was going to so say, thanks, you're, you're almost digest. outing us as like 90s kids with that. <laughs> Why are we giving kids candy? <laughs> you got to fill up that pillowcase one night out of the year, and then that's your that's your candy until next Halloween. Kids ain't even That was my that. experience, at least. Oh, that, that's definitely our experience. Maybe we can have a little <laughs> mini discussion on this, like how different it is for kids on Halloween now. And then especially with the Rona, I don't even think there's going to be many trunk or treats. What are trunk or treats? You haven't heard of those? No. So what it is, is rather than going from neighborhood, you know, house to house, door to door, people are just pulling all their cars into these organized like parking lots and just going from car trunk to car trunk. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. The thing I used to do on Halloween was I would, I would, um, well, this was when I started to like age out of Halloween. Yeah. It around high school, I think I stopped like trick or treating. 
but uh, my friend and I would go around to the rich neighborhoods at around like 11 p.m. when all the kids had turned in. We just empty the uh, the take one bowls. Yeah, that still had stuff in it, and that was that was an easy way to get a, a lot of candy. 